Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you come a waltzing Matilda with me. We sang and we sung and a something something Billy Bong. You'll come a waltzing Matilda. I think we used to sing okay. it in school. And he swore as he hacked and hacked at a can of beer, saying, "What kind of idiots put beer in tins?" Yeah, it fits. Nice. <laughs> I just said I wasn't going to sing on the podcast. I don't think it counts if we're kind of... What's the word for that? Like, it's not singing, it's not speak singing, it's the... When you're not willing to commit, you know? It's what you do in school assemblies if you're in the back row. Shine, Jesus, shine. Oh, not me, I used to try and show off. Eventually I then went to the the pretend singing because someone made fun of me. Yeah, that's fair. And also, admittedly, none of us did that with shine, Jesus, shine, because that was a fucking belter. That was that perfect harmony suddenly. <laughs> I know I'm not Jesus-y anymore, but honestly, that one still slaps. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Jesus folks. They have some, they got some, some bangers. bangers. And by that, we mean banging tunes, not sausages. They might have sausages. Oh, there was some weird Australian slang for sausage that I forgot. Snags. Snag all them, thank you. <laughs> I only remember because I did rewatch Priscilla Queen in the Desert this week. Fantastic. Which this book doesn't reference as heavily as I kind of vaguely remembered it doing, but it was no, still that, nice to watch it again. That loomed really large in my head as well. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah. Do you have any powerful post-titty bits about the handling of the gender thing? Not really. I'll talk so about it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, considering the rampant transphobia that constantly exists whenever I fucking open Twitter, it seemed quite wholesome by comparison. Yeah. God, there was a really fucking bad article. I've literally only read the headline of it. It was on a magazine cover or something, but everyone was riffing into it on Twitter, which is women dressing like lesbians to feel more powerful and then pictures of women in power suits. And A, one of the women they used to illustrate this was Kristen Stewart, famed heterosexual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not um, the, the straightest not of the straight and narrow no I'm really quite I've, like, I know that and I know nothing about anything yeah um, celebrity wise um, hmm. but also like power suits have been part of women's fashion for decades yeah I thought they were going to say something about like dungarees because I'm not going to lie I enjoy the kind of the mask element of wearing things like I really love clothes especially we- in the summer when we went to the garden centre together and I just moved into this place and uh, you were in the dungarees and I was in a really femme floral dress and we looked like a very cliche lesbian couple. Especially when I was then helping you move furniture into the flat. Yep. Oh, it was a moment where your neighbours thought we were a very nice couple, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any of your neighbours? No. no. I met the guy next door to me like one time because I had to call an ambulance for him that one time. So, right, I, yeah. like, so you know his ex-wife. I know his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's lovely. We occasionally text each other. Hopefully whoever moves into the one next to you when they finally stop using power tools every day. Since December, it was supposed to be done by the end of January. And still, every morning, bah. And they seem to have got a new one that drills at just the perfect frequency to like vibrate my brain a little bit. Oh, like it's a God. really high-pitched one. Mm, oh no, it's awful. Yeah, it's just oh. unfair. Did you ever get around to looking at noise cancelling headphones? Or were you the person who said they made you feel a bit sick? Yeah, I don't like noise cancelling yeah. headphones. Also, like, quite often I'm watching TV or something. I can't really have headphones in very comfortably. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my um, my um double media tends to be drawing and listening to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, whereas you do triple media. I don't know what you're talking about. I got a I... new lip tint. It's called Dear Darlington. That's from 
house of etude and it's korean and that's my favorite thing in the world it's so nice it smells like watermelon that's quite cute i'm sure it's really unethical or something but i love it i need to i've done that thing where i've run out of like all of my regular daily makeup at once Mm. and i need to go shopping but i don't physically go into a shop because that feels like far too much effort do you like stick to one brand usually or are they all from different there's two or three different brands I use, but I'll also quite often like primer wise. I'm not really stuck on one that I love. So I just buy whatever's like on offer on Amazon. But I hate the one I'm using right now. What one are you using? It's a uh, Maybelline one. Okay. But it was um, Oh, what's the one I've been, I was using for ages? It was a W, W something, W7, like princess, something like that. It's like slightly purple tinted. Oh, cool. Um, Which just takes down takes a bit of the yellow out of my skin in the autumn winter um you're about to get a bit more brown so that might not be that. no i still got quite yellow undertones though um but i tend to use like a green tinted primer because the circles under my eyes are really blue ah i'm enjoying uh, learning about color theory and my makeup's getting better at the same time nice I think you have more of a head start in art than you think you do, because um, <laughs> <laughs> you understand all this already. <laughs> you say that, but I had to actually, I very rarely, when I'm sewing and designing stuff, I very rarely do much for design on paper first. Mm. Uh, but because I'm working on a dress for someone else and we hadn't nailed down the design, I did some on paper designs to send over and was like, this is what I'm thinking of doing. But the person I'm doing it for is is quite talented in the art department ah. and i am not so that, i did have to send these sketches yeah. over with a very please ignore the art skills but these very bad pencil drawings are what i'm thinking of making for you i forgot how perspective works and also apparently sleeves eh, sleeves who needs them photoshop might be best bet eventually yeah probably but it's fine what, like, whatever digital artists use procreate the one at the moment i have no it's idea the ability to undo Yes. If you're doing sketches, it's very nice. Um, There's enough on paper that they've been able to go, no, I don't hate that. And now I can do what's best for me when designing, which is to make one out of shit fabric. Nice. 3D. Yes. I know how it all goes together. I just can't make that two. Ah, sorry. I can't make that two-dimensional on a piece of paper. Speaking of design, um, the second game we played last night, do you remember what that was called? Little Town. That was really cute. That was, I don't know why that aesthetic tickled my brain so very much. We were at the board game cafe again last night and um, yeah, I the, won a game for the first time, which was did. I'm very exciting. Proud of you. I won that one, Little Town. I did not win Catan again. I was, I was one point off winning for ages. Oh no. And then oh, someone. That's the See, that's what I hate. But then someone took Longest Road off me and then someone else won before I could get Longest Road back and yeah. that last point. Yeah. But it was fun though. We had a very fun. good time. We did. I haven't laughed so much in quite a while, especially when we use the word inscrutable and realise that scrut has no base form. Don't <laughs> no conjugate it again, I can't. I, literally, it was Scrute. one of those nights where my, my jaw hurt afterwards. Scruted. <laughs> Scrut. <laughs> Scrot. Scroot, scroot. Anyway. Scroot, scroot. Anyway. Don't, yeah. Since, since last it. night, I've not been able to stop just occasionally saying to myself, scroot, scroot, motherfucker. <laughs> See, to me, it's right. It's uh, Toad at Toad Hall. Oh, scroot, that scroot. makes sense. In his little car. His canary carriage, whatever it was, and then a motor car. It's been a very long time since I've read Wind in the Willows. Uh, I'm going by the, uh, the film for that one. Or the yeah, film. I think I may have only read Wind in the Willows, like two times 
once yep. as a kid, once as an adult. I love it. It's a lovely book. It's just not one of the ones that I'm like, oh, I want to read that. It was never like a favourite favourite for me, whereas like mm. the Beatrix Possa ones, like uh, the Miss Tiggywinkle book, I had memorised. Uh, mm. And I also had it in French. Ooh. Not sure why. I don't Early know attempt to make you bilingual? I, d- I did start studying French when I was like five or six years old. Mm. It's amazing how little of it I fucking retain now. No, same. Like, um, I, I need quite a lot as a kid and then just a few years off. That's it. The only um, reason I started studying it so young is because there was an after-school French club and the woman who ran it lived like three doors down from us. So mum nice. got me to go to that so I'd have a lift home from school. That's good. That's a good idea. Which I respect. Absolutely. That's like the, the uh, slightly posher version of being a latchkey kid. Yes, very much so. After-school activities kid. Only the free ones where someone else could give me a lift, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We weren't that posh. <laughs> oh, we, there was an after-school club that chucked my brother's primary school, which I would then go to as well, because it was for kids whose parents were teachers, basically. So you'd just yeah. spend an hour there while your parents were finishing, and my mum was a teacher. I used to give us to host. Oh. I can still smell like It was like a little, what they called, static caravan thing outside. Yeah, I know the things you mean. And it was just like unreasonably warm in a nice way that make you all sleepy and they give you toast that was so nice wow. I was like 10 or 11 I really really like I don't remember anything else apart from it smelled really nice it was really warm and I got toast that's fair pretty much all I ask of a static caravan whereas most of my after school t- activities because I went to a small catholic primary school next to a large catholic church they all took place in the crypt oh literally there was like an under space of the church it wasn't like well, creepy a creepy old crypt uh no snebbins i used to do theater club in a cellar of one of those Not there's the so cathedral. many churches yeah. in this town yeah there's so many churches just where i live that when i have a friend who lives a couple streets away who was trying to admittedly it was new year's and i was a couple bottles of champagne in but she wanted a, a smoke and asked me to drop some down to her uh and was trying to direct me to hers, and I went completely the wrong way because she was directing me via church, and there were two churches near oh, each no. other, and I went towards the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, and she that was, was just like, on no, random I... housing estate. I, there were three in total I could have walked towards. Nice. And she was like, no, it was the one, this denomination. I was like, I don't know the denominations of the three churches in five-minute radius. Oh, well. Um, yeah, but you've... Um... You've done like a whole week of board games, haven't you? Sorry, circling back because board games oh, yeah. are more fun than churches. Yeah, they very much are. Uh, yeah, my friend's been off work, so we've spent this entire week playing Massive Darkness 2, which is a very fun, big, sprawly, dungeon-crawly thing. Uh, so him and his mate did... It's not okay. <laughs> you showed me the picture of all the boxes together. The base game, <laughs> listeners. The base game is like a dozen okay, no. large boxes. It's not a dozen large boxes. I showed you the table. Uh, we've got like all the character boxes. We've got like all the ca- mini finicker characters oh, out on the table. Okay, okay. And also we've got a bunch of the expansions so we could play some of the other characters and have some of the other enemies. Okay. It's one of these weird things where like part of the reason the game takes up so much space is because all the enemies are these little mini figures, mm. which is like a really genre thing. So this is like these RPG dun- dungeon stalker crawler style. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they're so popular is people buy these massive games that come with boxes and boxes of figures that they can paint. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who has bought one of these and actually painted all the fucking figures, but that massive cabinet behind me full of blood bowl figurines. 
Yes, but he, he has actually painted them, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. All right, fine. There's one person. One. Uh-huh. Of course it would be Jack. Of course it would be Jack. We're looking for a, an exception to prove the rule. But yes, yeah, so that's part of the reason it takes up so much space. It's fun, though. Get I have been enjoying myself. I'm glad you have. Currently, we're wandering through a hell maze while a banshee and the queen of the undead follow us around. I think one of us, we paused. It's nice because I've got the space to leave it out so we can literally pause mid-quest so I can come record. Mm -hmm. But at the point we paused, I think one of us had died. Gosh. You? Can you remember? Well, I died, but I kind of slightly retconned a move so I could basically teleport out of the way. Because I had a potion that let me teleport to a forge. It's the joy of playing with one friend. You can negotiate. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a super stickler for rules because sometimes retconning makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then I think he died, but that's fine. One person can come back to life once. Okay, that's good. What happens if you both die? Is it game over? Game over. We already that's failed at this quest moment. once yesterday. No. Jack's been playing something not similar because I think it's much smaller, but he's been playing... Uh, Oh, God, I can't remember what it's called. It involves space orcs and space hobbits. Uh, Warhammer 40,000? No. Oh. It's like a dungeon RPG thing. Oh, okay. But in space. But in space. Yeah. No one can hear you orc. Nope. Orc, orc. Scroot, scroot. Scroot, scroot, motherfucker. (laughs) Right, okay. I think at this point we should probably just make a podcast front scene. Yeah. Let's make a podcast. Would you like to make a podcast? Yeah, let's make a podcast. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Tisk World series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is our final part of The Last Continent. Terribly sad. It's the last bit of The Last Continent. Note on spoilers before we crack on, we're a spoiler light podcast. Uh, Heavy spoilers for the book The Last Continent, obviously. But we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series, and we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Balanced precariously on a boogie board. Perfect. Uh, Follow up. Do we have things to follow up on, Francine? Uh, We do. I mentioned Terra Australis, I think. I think I did on the podcast as a concept last week and I just had a bit more of a look into it. And it's really interesting. So it was a hypothetical content content continent first that turned up on maps like from the 15th century onwards. So um, people were just trying to work out what was in the bits of the world they didn't know. And there's some really interesting maps and things, which I'm not going to describe at length on the podcast because I've got some idea of what makes terrible audio content these days but uh <laughs> but i'll link to them in the show notes and yeah i just i didn't realize australia had been named after a hypothetical i guess australis oh, i think means southern yeah uh, an unknown land of the south terra australis incognita but yeah the legends go back like even further to like roman times uh it was just mysterious. I know this isn't the counterweight continent, but mm. effectively mysterious yeah. counterweight continents. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Cool. Um, we got an email from Kylie in Australia. Okay. I don't <gasps> think it's that Kylie. Oh. Still. Could be, just using a fake name. We were talking about neighbours, maybe. <laughs> I think that summons them, right? <laughs> I think she has COVID because she was like meant to be on comic relief last night. 
Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I hope she's okay. I didn't know it was coming, really. Yeah, or Red Nose Day or something. The same thing? Yeah. Anyway, Sorry. Uh, this Kylie messaged us to let us know, uh, greetings and albatrosses from Western Australia. Uh, adding some additional knowledge, sheep shearing contests do happen at agricultural shows, hmm. uh, but she's not sure how they would judge the winner. It must be like a combination of speed and not nicking the sheep, I reckon. Yes. Because like shit, sheep shearers leave cuts all over their sheep and they can get infested, infected, infected and infested because lots of flies. Yeah. Yeah. Poor sheeps. Poor sheeps. Um, uh, language and place names and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Noongar language, which is indigenous language of southwestern WA, Ooh. places ending in up means the place of. So that would make bugger up the place of the buggers. Huh. And Neil, I think it's actually in this section, mentions a place called Kangooli, which is based on the town of Kalgoorlie, okay. named after the local waterhole. Uh, oh. And water access is actually a huge issue there because water comes in from Perth 600 kilometres away via pipeline. Now, do you know, it's places like that. I'm like, why did you build a town? Yeah. Fine. A bit like if you've been... If you can live out in the bush and like survive, whatever, I'm sure there's indigenous populations. But what on earth possessed people to build a town that far from water right madness i'm sure there's probably like a a good geopolitical historical reason but yeah i didn't look can't be that good jesus and then uh, a vaguer one but worth mentioning um not sure on this one but something that jumps to mind when they meet the creator drawing animals and one of the wizards describes the kangaroo as a rat is the description of the quokkas by the dutch so quokkas are actually a type of wallaby um, oh, I love the Dutch. Yeah, yeah they, they're little. Yeah, they're very cute. They're so cute. But when the Dutch first found them, they named uh, the island. They found them on rats' nest and mistook them for rats. Oh. Uh, and Kylie has very kindly listed uh, linked to a list of quokka facts, which I will link to because it's full of pictures of quokkas, and I feel like we all need we do. to look at them because they're really fucking cute. I'll for you a picture of a quokka in the strong time. Yes, you can always. Always. So nice. that was my follow-up. Oh, I've just opened the email. I'm going to click on that link. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you just get <laughs> Look really at that excited. little smile. Oh, yeah. A little chubby. Oh, very good. Okay, sorry. Right, I'll, cl- I'll close that. Otherwise, I'm never going to pay attention. Okay. No, you're not. Uh, Francie, would you like to tell us what happened last time in The Last Continent? I would. I would. Previously on The Last Continent, the wizards get an idea of the island and meet its disappointed deity who needs a bit of tuition on the birds and the bees but not the Beatles, he seems to have those mastered. Ridcully et al. bid the immortal adieu and get ready to head out to sea in a beautiful pumpkin green boat, but Ponder stays behind to take a hands-on role in evolution. Rincewind gets drunk, shears sheep, rides off, on, rides off on a tiny horse, invents Vegemite, and meets a watchman while bleating around the bush. It's all a misunderstanding, officer. <laughs> bleating around the bush. I'm... I really wanted to shoehorn that pun in somewhere and I just I wasn't confident enough that I'd remember, so I had to put it in there. No, thank you. Yeah. Before I summarise one last bit of follow-up, I forgot. I don't remember writing this, but clearly I had the bad, bad management slogans somewhere in the back of my brain while doing my notes because I found written at the bottom of one of the pages, you don't have to be a crocodile to work here, but it bites. I have no memory of writing these words down and I didn't take any of my notes drunk this time, so I don't know where that came from. You don't have to be a crocodile to work here, but it bites. Yeah. I love that. Oh my God, I'm going to Photoshop that up for you. I want it on a mug. 
<laughs> perfect, perfect. Okay. Anyway, um, do you want to tell us what happens this time? Yes, I managed to still keep the summary to a page, but I had to slightly That's expand the margins to do so. Yeah. Uh, so on Mono Island, Pondo works closely with God until the big project sends him running for the shores and arriving scantily clad on the wizard's sailing vessel. Gender splits the decks and a storm looms ahead as the waters gird the last continent, currently under construction with a high field of background magic causing the wizards to get carried away. The storm rages and the boat degrades as they approach the continent, sinking under the waves and floating on boat seeds to reach the glowing shores. Uh, the ragtag bunch of washed-up wizards experience some temporal instability as magic overacts, and the bursar wanders to a camp along the shore where a fire burns and an old man paints with perfect simplicity. Oh. The well-meaning wizarding faculty arrive at the camp and attempt to teach some more complex perspective, as the currently infantile librarian finds a bull roarer in the old man's things. The sky is clear and darkness falls on the faculty as the old man paints the wizards and finds himself some simple silence. Meanwhile, in the same where, but a much later when, Rincewind is incarcerated for his heroic sheep rustling, along with the stolen sheep in question, and talks escape plans and ballad writing with the guard. After dinner and a dialogue with death, he finds a way out and the sheep fades into the stone of the cell. A large kangaroo lo looms in the sky and seems to be just a sign as Rincewind meets the local dibbler in his search for the docks. Watchmen arrive, and once again, Rincewind runs straight into the kitchens of the opera house. He stops just long enough to invent a dessert before the watch catch him up, and Scrappy joins his jog just long enough to tell him he can't simply sail away. The heroic Rinso the Bushranger takes shelter in a parade float as sequins sparkle and beer cans fly. Chased by the watch once more, Rincewind is reunited with the luggage, who reveals its cargo of the not-quite drag queen Nialette and they take brief shelter in the old Rue Beer Brewery until a roof collapse and a conflagration sends them through the cellar. There's no water in the pumps, but there's a great wizarding uni just around the corner. Rincewind finds himself summoned into the university, climbs a tower that's taller on the outside, learns his cousin is the Arch-Chancellor, and with a few tinnies in him, they head back to the brewery to look for signs of the mysterious floating pointing hats. Through the smoky brewery, the cellar, and into the caves, Rincewind explains rock formations and recent ancient history, and the UU faculty bursts forth from the pointy hat paintings. As the less local wizards discuss ways to bring the rain, Rincewind and the librarian reunite at the top of the tall short tower. After a brief bit of threatening over nomenclature, Rincewind spins the bull roarer and the rains return. The wet fills rivers and lightning strikes our favourite wizard as the weather finally rains true. Nice. Some days later, and with the winds blowing fairer, it's time for our wizards to head home. Nealette and the girls are reopening the brewery, the chefs say adieu, and Rincewind, now pardoned, says farewell to his cousin and heads home. A boomerang splits the clouds, but the rain promises to return. Hmm. Very nice. Thank you. Very good. Very poetic. So, helicopter and loincloth watch. Oh yes, any of either? Well, I'm calling the bull roar a helicopter. It does spin. And yep. then fly up into the air. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's and I'm going for naked ponder, but with a hat for dignity. Yeah, that is that is pretty loincloth-ish. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and the, just other callbacks. They're talking about the brewery and the fact the beer goes flat. Rincewind said perhaps it was built on some old religious site. That sort of thing can happen. You know, back home there was this fish restaurant that got built on a... So a oh, yes. callback oh, yes. to oh, yes. Mr. Hong. <laughs> And the Three Jolly Luck Takeaway Fish Bar on Dagon Street. One of our favourites. Let's do quotes. Everlasting Storm was 7,000 miles long, but only a mile wide. 
a great turning boiling mass of enraged air circling the last continent like a family of foxes circling a hen house. The clouds were mounded up all the way to the edge of the atmosphere, and they were ancient clouds now, clouds that had rolled around their tortured circuit for years, building up personality and hatred and above all voltage. It was not a storm, it was a battle. Mere gales a few hundred miles long fought amongst themselves within the cloud wall. Lightning forked from thunderhead to thunderhead, rain fell and flashed into steam half a mile from the ground. The air glowed. Weird sisters. Call back almost. Yeah. It's another long passage of personified storm. Very much so. This one's its big brother. This one's had a couple of big breaks already. Yeah, yeah. But it's been stuck performing at the same theatre for years. I think it's a bit bored now. That's true. And he's finally got his breakthrough act. Something like that. What about you, Francine? Yeah, um, I picked a complimentary one that is sillier. Um, As loudly as a thunderstorm under the bed, but as softly as two soufflés colliding, past and present ran into one another. Oh, lovely. Just one of those beautiful, silly metaphors. I haven't done it in a little while. As softly, softly as, as soufflés colliding. That's a lovely simile. <laughs> All right, we can talk about characters now. Yeah, all right. Good. Ponder. Yeah, let's revisit a couple. Let us ponder some characters. Ponder is very arrogant over his role in the future, and uh, it gets shat on very fucking quickly. Yeah, I like how he considered eugenics and then got humbled very quickly. You got the ear of a god, and maybe some intelligence could be applied to the task of creating intelligence. Actually, does it count as eugenics? Not really. It's like a precursor. Yeah, it's not quite eugenics, but it's no. definitely a bit arrogant. Yes, I think we've learned that Ponder should not have any real power in the world. No, I think Ponder is best off where he is, yes. possibly with some more clothes on. Yes. Um, but the pinnacle of creation, it took a minute for it to pay off exactly what it was, but finding out it's the cockroach. Yeah, I I was thinking, Jack told me a long time ago, that a cockroach is not is not the creature that's most likely to survive like the nuclear apocalypse. I think it was a wasp because it made me very sad, whatever it was. Yeah, because it's the, it's the long-running joke, the main things that will survive the nuclear mm-hmm. apocalypse, cockroaches and Cher. Yeah, no, I think Cher's still on the list, but I think it might yeah. be. <laughs> might be Cher, then wasps. Um, if, no, it was always, um, oh, what's the... Fuck me. Keith Richards is the other one, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The um the whole running into the darkness thing is very interesting. I think we might have talked about cockroaches before, so I won't go into it too much. We talked about how they like to be touched, didn't we? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Let's not um, talk about cockroaches, though. Rats are another interesting. Love very, rats. Uh, very adaptable thing. So mm. could have, rats could have been the answer there, I feel. But obviously, he's a beetle-obsessed god, so. Yeah, so cockroaches make sense. Yeah. Um, and the wizards fighting. That's really cool passage, isn't it? Or oh, just like the nearly moment. It's it's when they start arguing before the magic even slightly starts flying. No one's resorted to it because they've spent more, a lot of time in an atmosphere where a cutting remark did more damage than a magic sword. Yeah. But then there's like an accidental spark. Yeah. And, and every, everyone's so staring good. at it. Was it? I think Ponder managed to break the tension. Oh, also the boat was about to break. Yes. Yeah. That's very. Whew. Yeah, very it nice. was a really interestingly funny but tense moment. I thought. 
it's nice seeing the tensions reach that with the wizards because it's very rare. It's nice to get the reminders of what the wizards used to be. Yeah. Especially with the Dead Men's Shoes tradition. Mm. If it's I keep ponder. looking the other way, by the way, I am listening to you. It's just that my notes, notes the pulled from the book are on the screen because I've got the Kindle. So. That makes sense. <laughs> um, and then Rick Cully. Rick Cully doing his pleased. usual cleverer than he looks bit. I like uh, seeing, I already mentioned the hat bit, but I like it because it's also a bit of a, I can't remember if it's, if it's a callback or if we haven't seen it yet, but we definitely see Reed Cully with nothing but a hat at one point. Yeah. Insisting that he is very much fully dressed. He's got little drawers in his hat. Not that kind. Well, that's sensible. And the top of the hat unscrews. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's got a perfect measure of whiskey. We've definitely, yes, definitely seen that. I'm not sure if he was naked in that scene. but No, no, that seems unlikely. But... We did see topless Red Cully in Hogfather, but I'm not sure I needed to think about Red Cully's nipples. Did you work out what sign Quanon is? Uh, may I congratulate you on being properly dressed? You are wearing your pointy hat, which is a sign 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 canon uh, uh no oh wait is that some kind of dog latin that just sounds like canon uh uh the sign qua non of a oh essential condition thing that's absolutely necessary ah. it's an actual thing it's not dog latin okay no we'll get to the dog latin later in the book yes but obviously the scene where the wizards come in and interrupt the painter is uncomfortable and I think mm. it's meant to be uncomfortable. Oh, but yeah. there's something about the writing about the confidence of the wizards is very good. Uh, family size self-confidence that seem to be able to get away with anything. Yeah. I quite liked also how the Bersar approached, which was the Bersar who had been properly brought up said, hooray, there's a rose bush. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines. But yeah, the rest of them just like, oh my god. I, I had an art teacher who used to like sketch on your art to oh. correct it. Oh. It's like that. It gave me those vibes. <clears throat> Except like with an extra layer of white nonsense. Oh, my art teacher was just a bully. God, I hated that woman. Yeah, I didn't get up. Well, I told you, didn't I? I got kicked out of that. Yeah. Ha, <laughs> hey, jokes I... on you, Mrs. Lady, whose name I've now forgotten. Now I can kind of paint. I remember the name of mine purely because I became friends with her son many years later. Oh, fun. Because he uh, was the bouncer at our local nightclub. TJ? Yes, the same oh, one whose back I walked go. on in high heels for oh, free drinks that one right, time. TJ is a nicely anonymous name, isn't it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> we can say that. <laughs> Listeners don't know who we mean. Anyway, Rincewind. Rincewind's yeah. having a lovely time. I love Rincewind. Isn't he doing well? I feel so sorry for him when he's in the cell. Um, he's been in nastier places and this made it worse because he'd been up against nasty, weird and magical things but now he's just in some stone box and some perfectly nice people he might quite like if he met them in the bar we're going to march him out and make him stand on a really unsafe floor in a very tight collar yeah, it's this you've not got the adrenaline fight in yet for that, have you? yeah, like a creature from a dungeon d dimension you can sort of hopelessly run but this mm. is it's fight dealing with the fact that you're not fighting something clearly evil, but that yeah. they are very nice people. Yeah. It's going back to the last book, maybe, when you've reached the end of the law. Yeah. Um, I liked when he was spilling, spit spilling, spinning the bull roarer, mm. and he kind of couldn't stop spinning it. It was very reminiscent of when he had the half brick in a sock. Oh, very much sorcery, so. Which is just, 
a nice continuing metaphor of like, I don't know, you must have done if you ever start spinning something, you're like, if I stop, this is going to hurt. It's a very nice kind of visual metaphor of how out of control his entire narrative always is. Yeah. Like, this has started spinning and now I am just on this ride. Yeah. Oh, look, a handy storm. It was a nice ending for him for once, though. It was a very Well, he did get hit by lightning. He did. But everyone was nice to him. All the Aussies like, gave him a nice send off. I did like Neil seemed scene. to fancy him a bit. Everyone comes up to the boat and says goodbye one yeah. by one. He should have stayed there. He's well, got a nice cousin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he wanted to go home and hang out with the librarian and That's work in true. the library. That's fair. They, they're reunited. I would also like to work in a library with an orangutan. Um, before I go to the librarian, though, I do enjoy Rincewind finally getting to run away through a city. And he's like, right, I know what I'm doing now. I can run away through cities. I've done this. There's alleys. <laughs> Apparently, that's a reference to, or some of it is a bit of a reference to Crocodile Dundee. Like, uh, there's one where he's in New York and he kind of escapes like that, like jumping on people people's as heads. He goes. And... Yeah, I, I don't remember that film very well, but I think that is the one I had on video. But oh, that's fair enough. Some time ago. Uh, but yes, the librarian who, uh, yay! Considering the entire plot of the book was based around the wizards wanting to learn the librarian's name, although they've forgotten by this point. I may have found a slight reference that I didn't pick up anywhere else. Yeah. I'm not sure this is, because um, later I'm going to talk about Bush Ballads a bit, but mm-hmm. this is from that. There's one called The Beautiful Land of Australia that was written in the mid-1800s, uh, published for the first time in 1905. But yeah. the it's it's a piss take describing actually a horrible time in Australia. Um, right. Like <laughs> starving, a sheep will die, that kind of stuff. But the chorus goes, um, I'm not going to sing because I couldn't actually find a tune. I was going to try it. Illawarra, Mittagong, Parramatta, Wollongong. If you wish to become an orangutan, then go to the bush of Australia. Ah. I mean, he would have had to go to Australia anyway for the entire plot, but it's quite nice that he went to Australia and became an orangutan. I'm very happy for him. Yes. I was was very pleased when I saw in my Australian folk song, Oh, an orangutan. (laughs) (laughs) An unexpected crossover event. Not particularly native to Australia, as far as I know. No, no. If it did, Um, it would have a pocket. But yes, he's very much not willing for uh, Rincewind to let him know, let them know what his name is. Yeah, for sure. That's another Um, thing I was thinking of maybe this month's rabbit hole. I've got like four subjects in my head now of doing like Australian wildlife, because that at least would be like relevant, right? Mm. Fuck relevance. Yeah. Uh, And then Dibbler. We've Dibbler. got another Dibbler. Oh, he's such a twat. He's the twattiest Dibbler we've had. I'm going to save talking about his, the full breadth of his twattiness for later. Yeah, good thinking. Um, but it's nice to know that they continue to reoccur throughout the disc. Yeah. There was... Um, I, I also quite like the, the, the phrase that like he was looking at his wares for the first time, kind of, oh, oh yes, no, you're quite right. It is washing line, yes. <laughs> good Lord. Well, it's probably made nearby. Yeah, it's local. Uh, and then we've got the girls, Letitia, Darlene, and Nilette. Yay. Uh, so as I mentioned to listeners, the homework of watching Priscilla Queen in the Desert, not actually super res- re- ah, relevant, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed re-watching it and having the excuse to because I he forgot. doesn't want to see Elrond in drag. Oh, I do. I forgot that I might do it anyway, even though it's not homework anymore. You are allowed to just watch films for enjoyment, Francine. Also, it's oh, not too long. <laughs> no, it is nice and short, isn't it? And I've watched yeah. it before, so I can just have it in the background. Um, yeah, I oh, I forgot to look up. There was some line like um, she kicked him with a stiletto and achieved what 
three weeks was something in tea was meant to do, which I assume is like infertility. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yes, the sort of running joke of Rincewind not quite working out their drag queens and not knowing what drag is because I guess there's not his version of drag is female impersonators. Yeah, like the as, old university kind of posh boys put on women's clothes and do the panto quite a lot. Yeah. But then also, if you compare, say, British drag to Australian drag, a lot of British drag is still a bit more in the comedy uh, because it comes a lot more from like the panto dame tradition. All right. It, it, not so much now, but, you know, it's changed a hell of a lot in the last 10 years because RuPaul's Drag Race became so fucking mainstream. Was it, um, has that had that big of an effect, has it? It's had a huge effect. You get a lot wow. more like fashion queens and uh, lip syncing became a lot more popular. Cool. Uh, I'm by no means an expert. I remember seeing a show like that in Jersey maybe 10 years ago now. But yeah. Like that was the first time I'd seen like a glamour drag show. Glamour drag show. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it came more from that tradition and was a bit more comedy. Whereas, yeah, Australian drag has definitely it's been a bit sparklier. Mm-hmm. They do like sequins. In Australia. I, who doesn't love a sequin? Uh, me. Because they always fall off. I can't be bothered sewing them back on. No, I actually, I fucking hate sewing mm-hmm. sequins. This is yeah. why I don't. Like hand embellish a lot of my shit, <laughs> but yes, they're quite sweet characters. I like the little moments with them. Yeah, I, I don't have the energy to get particularly purpley posty about any of it. No, he's trying his best. Rincewind. He, I mean, I don't. Yes, I see Pratchett as well. Um, and then luggage, Trunky, good old Trunky, little Trunky, who's uh, got a piercing. Yes, had his lid pierced. It's not taking it out. His face. Um, but also, I really like the mental image of him wearing hundreds and hundreds of little pairs of stilettos. It, it, wearing. It, now, sorry. that was brought up in Pratchett as an interesting example of uh, Pratchett doing a kind of gender issue quite well. And the yeah. trunky has always been, oh, luggage, sorry, has always been very definitively it, not he, even though Rincewind kind of thought of it as a he and like it's had children with what looked like a more female luggage whatever well, yeah and I think then I... even with even when it had all like its makeup and shoes it was still referred to as yeah yeah i think i subconsciously kind of masculinized it because of the relationship in interesting times but yeah. that's very heteronormative of me <laughs> yes they might have adopted they they may have adopted some also no handbags. that's i don't think they have sex we need to go and ask that god on the island no he won't know Mrs. Whitlow, where's Mrs. Whitlow when you need her? (laughs) I'm sure she can explain to luggage reproduction. (laughs) Oh no, she's exciting. She's exciting the senior wrangler in her suddenly quite loose bikini. Good lord. (gasps) No, sorry, her New Zealand. Her New Zealand, yes, but it's she's (laughs) Oh that sounds dirty, I know. When you say like (laughs) Darling, I'd love to see you in your New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) I won't mention the phrase map of Tasmania. Um (laughs) not. Good amount of parmesan, though. Oh, I bet. Um, sorry, I was going to say something. Mrs. I'm very Whitlow, sorry. I didn't put her in the characters, but joy to find out that she's a stunning redhead. Of course she is. Of course she is. Of course she is. <sighs> I miss being a redhead. I might dye my hair. I actually, this is one of the few times I don't even mind a little bit of Pratchett being all like, and she's really sexy and swayed towards them because that's hilarious because the senior wrangler was unconscious. Yep. I was like, throw him in the sea, will you, chap? <laughs> Nowhere too deep. 
Also, points for Pratchett for not when she's in her younger form suddenly being blonde and very tan. Yes, maybe it's We're diversifying. <laughs> you see, he's, he's learned to imagine another kind of woman. <laughs> um, you put a note under my little trunky bullet point, though. Like a Jex Machina, yeah, when yeah. Prince wins surrounded and about, there's no way out. And suddenly, it happens a few times in the books, doesn't it? Luggage, it does. which I, I enjoy. I don't think of it as a lazy bit because. I always it's, forget the luggage is a thing until it turns up and eats everyone. Well, I think he's quite good at actually taking the luggage out of action mm. so that not every problem can be solved by the luggage. Because like, if Rincewind had had the luggage for him for this entire scene, like, yeah. it would have eaten a wombat at the yeah. bar. It would have probably eaten the watchman that first tried to kidnap him. It would have eaten all the sheep. It would have eaten a lot of the sheep. Or maybe like because it, it has surprising turns of heart sometimes, maybe just kept the sheep in. It, it would have started herding the else. sheep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It would have been a good sheep dog. Sheep luggage. Sheep luggage. <gasps> That's a TV show. What? Like sheep luggage. Yeah. The people love this shit. There's TV shows about sheep dogs, about that pig, babe. Oh yeah. That'll do pig. That'll do luggage. He'd be a okay. great sheep dog. He'd terrify them. Um, also, I like that he hides in him for the first time. Yeah. We've not in seen it. Sorry, I've done it myself now. We've not seen. Now I'm going to be constantly worried about misgendering before. this piece of luggage. <laughs> Look, I know we consider ourselves very progressive as a podcast, but I feel like we don't need to worry too much about misgendering the luggage. Do you think there's not much of the luggage community that listens to us? I don't think many suitcases are supporting us on, on this podcast. If we're no. wrong, I'm very sorry. Please do at us. Yes. Um, but yeah, the the fact that like Nicolette and everyone decided right away that it wasn't a dangerous beast and like yeah you can hide and hide in it you can yeah and i enjoy the very slow you know i think this might be a magical suitcase (gasps) it was um when it turned up it's still covered in opal i assume it shed that now but apparently that can happen to fossils like they can be coated in in opal yeah in australia yeah nice yeah I meant to look up a picture. I love of that. opal. Yeah, opal's so pretty. Opal is gorgeous. Yeah, I was always really jealous of my sister because it's her birthstone. Oh yeah, she's got like really nice yeah. opal jewelry. I always forget mine, and that's because it's one I don't particularly care for. I can't remember what June is. Uh, I don't really care. No, no, me neither. I suppose Arch Chancellor Rincewind. Arch Chancellor Rincewind. Rincewind has a cousin of sorts. We don't know the exact <laughs> relation. Oh, yours is Pearl, Alexandrite, or Moonstone. They're quite pretty. Sorry. Oh, that's cool. I do like pearls. Can't afford them, but I like them. They're mm. very pretty. Mine is Ruby. Oh, I don't hate that. Yeah, that suits you. I think I just wanted it to be Amethyst because I liked Fairfall so much. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, sorry. I'll chance the rinse wind, as I already <laughs> tried to segue to and then interrupted both of us. You interrupted yourself, Francine. I did. It's fine. I did. It's amazing. So Rincewind has a relative, which is surprising <gasps> considering his mother ran away before he was born. Rincewind is my relative. Um, yeah, so it'll be a distant, distant relative, cousin. I suppose. Distant relative or just some kind of very strange concurrent naming. Yeah, um, parallel evolution, as uh, Ridcali was saying about the spells. Yes, but they're family now. It's yes. very sweet. I enjoy it. Bill Rincewind. He's got a first name, which our Rincewind doesn't. Yeah. He's um, he's not noticeably Rincewindish. No, well, he's the Arch-Chancellor. Yes. He's clearly quite competent. 
Uh, is this or- a sort of what Rincewind could have been if you'd grown up at a very different sort of university? Maybe. I'm not sure I can nature versus nurture Rincewind. It's gone through so many parallel dimensions. Well, yeah, just look at the lifetimer. I know. Death's such a twat. <laughs> just thought you might like so friendly face. No, you didn't. You You're taunting on. him. <laughs> I love that because uh, we talked way back when we were talking about colour of magic when we were really excited to see death we were like listeners I know he seems like a dick now but you're going to learn why we love him but, he's a different like, kind of dick now though he's just but he's still a dick to Rincewind yeah he's, he's not like project. vindictively against yeah. Rincewind the way he was in colour of magic but reminding you that I am in theory still a possibility I just like that he seems to save all of his little dickishness for Rincewind that kind of scans doesn't it yeah. Poor Rincewind. The Opera House. Should we go to the, the Opera House? Yes, let's go yeah. to locations. Let's go to the Opera House. Described as like a boat about to set sail. Can't imagine or, what that's a... Like a bunch of tissues pulled out of a box. <laughs> Apparently both ways the Sydney Opera House has yes. actually been described. You've actually seen the Sydney Opera House, haven't you? Like you've I have. obviously you lived in Sydney. I've got a picture of me in front of it. Lovely. Did you ever um, get to go in? No. That kind oh, of thing shame. cost money or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I I wasn't very into that kind of stuff then. Anyway, I walked yeah. around the the nearby gardens quite a lot. The um, uh, what's it called? Botanical gardens. That oh, that's always nice. very nice. Um, that whole area was nice. Circular key. Um, but no, I, I I went and saw the opera house and took some photos, and that was it. It's weird seeing things like that. Yeah, I imagine it would be quite surreal to actually see it. Like I remember the first time I saw the Eiffel Tower, I was just stood really confused, like however, ah, I guess you exist outside of a postcard. Well, it's also difficult because you know if you're anywhere near it, you don't have the perspective of the Eiffel Tower because Mm. you're too close to it, and you sort of, especially I was like eight or nine years old, so I was like, yeah. Whereas now, obviously, you can look at it face to face. Yeah, no, now I'm I'm level with the top of the <laughs> that tower. That extra foot's really made the difference with the Eiffel well, it, Tower. <laughs> it really helps that I turn into Godzilla whenever I go to Paris. Oh, that's right. We've never gone to France together. That'll be a yeah. fun trip. Uh, <laughs> ah. God, sorry, the Opera House. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, um, I. It, it, it is like the most prestigious venue for a lot of artists, though, isn't it? Like people who want people like. You want to break into New York, you want to play London, whatever, but like the Sydney Opera House, it just seems to me like the venue. Yeah, it's like the big shiny thing. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. That's cool. Um, And I do enjoy all the chefs. I like that it has a whole bunch of neurotic chefs working in it. I found that whole scene really relatable. I'll talk about the dessert stuff, but but, yeah, (laughs) I related to that. Uh, And then Bugger Up University. Yes. Um, Full of buggers university, as we now know. Yes. No, place of. Place of buggers. Sorry. Uh, Over the stone arch at the front. It's mostly built out of corrugated iron. Yeah. Burned into thin metal with the words nullus anxietus. No worries. No worries. Uh, And it also says uh, nulli shile sanguine. No bloody shilas. Maybe I can get that one. I was very proud of myself for getting what the sanguine bit meant. It um, took me a second. Yeah, well, I'm always trying to remember which of the like four humour descriptions mean once. So you've got like bilious, you've got sanguine, and then I always forget the other two. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what Literally, I've forgotten are. already. Yep. yep. Bilious. No, did I say that one? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's bile. You know what? I'm not going to talk about the four humours because they're disgusting. Um, I also (laughs) like that (laughs) all the buildings were low but had big wide roofs, giving the effect you might get if someone stepped on a lot of square mushrooms. (laughs) Such a lovely pointless descriptor because there are there's no such thing yes i like that sort of nonsense description it's interesting how many different harsh environments have a lot of corrugated iron because there are a lot of buildings like that in hot places but also like um their capital of iceland what's it got Reykjavik, is um like a lot of the buildings are corrugated iron oh really yeah Yeah, Um, interesting they're very they have like underfloor heating because yeah they live on a volcano or something sorry icelanders feel free to at me i know i'm Vaguely, very close vaguely to the idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about construction with uh, corrugated iron. Yeah. It's an in. It. I've read about it before, but not at length. It is an interesting material because it's like a lot stronger than it looks. Obviously, which is why it's so popular and why corrugated cardboard is a thing. Yep. Um, but you'd think it would be like a being in a roasting tin, wouldn't you? But yeah, yeah just a little know. box made of metal. Huh. I'll add that into maybe follow up at some point. Hmm. Listeners, if you know anything, do uh, do shout yeah. us. Um, something that has become a mild bugbear for me. I, d- I don't like criticising annotated... Become a mild dropper. Mild dropper. I don't like criticising annotated Pratchett because obviously it's an amazing resource we use quite a lot. But every time there's something that's a different size inside, outside, whatever, they'll say, oh, this is a nod to Doctor Who. And like, I just don't think it always is. The, taller is, the tower is taller on the outside than it is on the inside. I bet that if they didn't put that in every time, they'd keep getting emails. Yeah, good point. All right, maybe my criticism isn't of annotated practice, it's just of people. Yeah. That not and Joanna is saying that as a massive Doctor Who fan. Way yeah, no, me. I'm a huge I Doctor quite enjoy David Tennant, but Joanna likes the whole thing. I was uh, telling someone the story of the other day of how I went to the Doctor Who experience in Cardiff dressed as the TARDIS, and then my contact lens broke and I cried. Yeah. I was really hormonal that day, to be yeah. It's a nice dress, though. It is a nice dress. Um, it doesn't fit me anymore. That'd be way too big for you now, isn't it? No, it's a bit Other way. Tight oh. I can't remember things. <laughs> anyway, yeah, as a massive Doctor Who fan, not everything that's bigger on the inside or outside is necessarily a reference to the TARDIS. No. It's also just a cool idea. Dimensional what's it? Yes. And I like the idea of the tower. I want to mm-hmm. climb it. It's like a taller on our outside. I just want to climb something that is taller on the outside because I really like going up to cool, high, tall places, but I really dislike climbing a fuck ton of stairs and a lot of them don't have lifts. Mm, I do not like standing on cool, high places and I also hate steep stairs. So I think just for me, not big towers, not for me, not for me. Spiral staircases terrify me particularly, but any kind of narrow, steep stair that goes on for more than like the ones in my house is a bit much for me. I really like them. I'm very weird about heights. I'm not scared of heights at all unless there is absolutely nothing stopping me from falling off, in which case I'm completely mm-hmm. terrified. But the thing that's stopping me from falling off could be like a very small wire fence. As long as there's something there, I'm fine. Speaking of bigger on the outside, one of the bits that Rincewind says here is um, the more geography you've got, the less history ever noticed that. More space, less time. I wasn't quite sure what they're getting. I was, I was wondering if, like, because everything's more spread out, like, there's not as many, like, wars between nations and things. Like, I actually built a bit of a rant about that into my notes later because it's something Neil ah, Gaiman okay. uh, said a lot um, in reference to America. Uh, he says that like, England has history, America has geography. Mm. Um, I'll go into it a bit more later okay. on, though. Cool, cool, cool. 
Yes, I'm now seeing probably the angle you're coming at it from. Yes. Yes. I've got I just a had it highlighted because it confused me. <laughs> Joanna's managed to make a point out of it. Well then, Joanna. <laughs> we say a point. We haven't got there yet. Right. Uh, little bits we liked, Francine. Mm. Uh, escaping cell tropes. Yeah. Oh, just, just such a, such a, such a trope, isn't it? The, um, just wanted to get this sorted out. Uh, it's not so I've got time to waste. Is there any chance you're going to fall asleep in a chair opposite the cell with your keys fully exposed on the table in front of you? Um, and then there's the like the related ones in there where like they've got it on the belt and it gets hooked off. I think that's like Robin Hood Disney I'm thinking of, maybe. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, and then the washerwoman is like in various, but also in one of the willows. Um and there's like, you forgot to ask about the grill. No, it does not. <laughs> There's a washerwoman trope bit in a later book, and I love it so much. It's one of my favourite scenes of that book. Ooh. Don't remind me now in case it's a spoiler, but I'll, it'll come to me. It, it's not a major spoiler, okay. but um, it's in Monstrous Regiment. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say about that. I didn't look into TV tropes or anything funny. this time. I just enjoyed it, yeah. Uh, local delicacies. We are introduced <sighs> to the concept of the meat pie floater. Which is apparently a thing. Yeah. A bit of me would like it's curious. Not curious enough to do it, but like curious. I quite like grace foods like that. I because love... I'm very into sauces and I like there's no nice way to say it. I like wet food. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, that's fine. I always dip. I always have way too much gravy. Yeah. Um there's always got to be I a sauce. I do like mushy peas. I like ketchup. I don't eat meat pies, but you can get pretty good vegetarian quotes meat pies now it's just all of them together i'm not i'm not sure i um, <laughs> maybe we should try it <laughs> there's two little bits in this i like when he's first introduced to it and a bit later when we meet, uh talk to dibbler about some of the food he sells as well uh, on the strange regional delicacies specifically featuring pies mm. i have eaten a pie balm and i highly recommend that pie in a roll yeah with mm. butter and ketchup hmm it's uh, that sounds like one of those do you, you know when you get food that's like so heavily carbohydrate like a chip butty or something like that as well god that I love somehow it just really increases the chance of taking one of those bites that hurts as it goes down because it's too much food that is definitely happened to me the most with chip butties yeah yeah i, but a, I, I don't know why but with a pie there's enough gravy to stop that happening <sighs> yeah also, just a brief shout out to one of my favorite lines from any film ever, which is, I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. What fucking film is that? It's from Chicken Run. That's right. You know that. I know. Uh, I, I can hear it in my head. <laughs> lines from movies that live in your head, oh, rent free. Yeah. That. Oh my God, Chicken Run. God, I love that film. That film makes me think of going around someone I knew from school's house and I, I only went around there once. And she was really nice, and I never really spoke to her much after that. Not for any reason. I just kind of felt she bad for that. Like, get horribly yeah. offended by the film Chicken Run. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know why. It's just the odd things that you associate things with. Yeah, um, but yes, back on the regional sorry, delicacies. Yeah. Um, Not uh, my middle school stories. No, fine. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> my boring <laughs> rambling middle school. No, yeah, okay. We're <laughs> a Discworld podcast, Francine. Let's talk right. about food. All right, yeah. I should probably do some more interesting things with my life before I start an autobiographical one. <laughs> Food. But there's a really lovely long footnote about um, there's nothing that's 
a good like there is something about the really shit food um hot dog fillings that have more in common with meat than pinkness but people can be trained to prefer the other sauces if Machiavelli mm. had written a cookbook and there is something very <laughs> relatable about that because like sometimes you want the shit burger or the shit hot dog especially yeah, comfort get, food you can get such good vegetarian ver- versions of the bad hot dogs yeah they do yeah because there's barely any meat in the real yeah. ones um but i do like the end of that footnote it says even so there's no excuse for putting pineapple on pizza yeah well i don't I actually feel, i i don't like it but i don't feel strongly about it that it's an abomination i just like mm-hmm. the pressure back me up on it yeah regional specialties are often odd i remember in malta one of the regional specialties was a meat olive uh which has nothing to do with olives it's like a mincemeat filling wrapped in a bit of meat <laughs> I mean, I'd eat that. I know, but it's just such a, like, huh. Well, I was already like vegetarian by that. I was like, well, I hope you enjoy that, Jack. That's odd. Um, yeah, you didn't really get to eat well in Malta, did you? I, I did not. It wasn't no. very veggie friendly. Not very. Considering it is an island, there's not that much seafood compared to the meat. Um, but yeah, also they shot all the birds. So. Oh. Oh, yeah, not that I eat birds anyway, it's just a weird... They're a very odd island nation, is my point. <laughs> Speaking of odd island nations, I, um, I, I've, brought with, I've brought a book with me, Show and Tell, which is Marvelous. great for the audio format. But it's um, a Jersey heritage... Jersey, like the, uh, the island that I'm from, yeah. not like the New Jersey, um, which is occupation recipes. So when it was occupied by the Nazis, there was not a lot of food, especially towards the end, and people got very creative... And you saying, you putting regional delicacies in the notes made me think of, I have this book and it's entitled Limpet Stew and Potato Jelly. Wow. That's jelly, like the wobbly jello, yep. Americans, not a... Uh, like the jam type stuff. Yeah. And there's there's a lot. There's a lot in here. But England has a lot of weird regional delicacies that like, if you describe them, it would sound like you're trying to trick them into believing in something like drop bears, not just haggis. Like rock buns. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, rock buns, um, Turn the hole. jellied eels, mm-hmm. uh, and cockles, spotted dick. and mussels alive. alive. <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, no, I know many Londoners who are genuinely jellied eel fans, and I've never eaten one. Can I eat an eel? Is an eel a fish? Yeah, I don't want and to. Eels are fish, Francine. Well, eels like in sushi, lovely. I was about to try and justify my reaction then, but like, what else are they? They're not a mammal. Yeah. <laughs> Not an amphib- eel is actually a duck. Uh- <laughs> Where do amphibians land on your pescatarianism? No. So you wouldn't eat frog's legs? No, because frogs are already in trouble from that fungus. Oh, yeah, thing. that's fair. Yeah. Um, also, my pescatarianism, also, I will not eat squid or octopus because they're too smart and it freaks me out. Um, that's fair. Also, I feel bad about eating fish at all. It's just that I am not an organized enough person to eat. To get enough protein to, to in eat, your diet. Yeah, to eat enough protein. Yeah. Not unless I just sat down and ate a block of cheese every day and I feel like that would come with its own health issues. I feel like it's maybe not the well. I'm quite anemic I'm... a lot of the time as well. I don't... <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm, I'm trying to justify myself here, but yeah. Anyway, yes, fun regional delicacies. Listeners, if you've got any weird ones from where you yeah. are, please tell me. They've got to be um, some like Suffolk ones, haven't there? I don't think Suffolk's got anything that specifically weird about food. No, probably not. I guess it's just... It's but like then a, also, I feel agricultural like place, isn't it? We maybe can't see the wood for the trees. Like it is a weird place that I think so much of it just goes over our head. 
Yeah, I'm just having a look quickly on traditional recipes from Suffolk blog. What we got here? Uh, oh no, this is old, old. I'm not sure that counts. Yeah, no, I just, no, I can't think of any. One regional specialty that I have been missing, I found a recipe for, and I'm going to make is the stotty, mm-hmm. which is uh, a northern bread thing, and it's kind of like a giant English muffin. Okay. Nice, that uh, sounds good. I like English muffins. I like giant bits of bread. Like it's a very large, round, flat sort of loaf mm. that you cook partly on the stovetop. And if you make it the right size, you can put an entire full English breakfast in it and make a giant breakfast sandwich. Okay. That sounds good. I've, I found something called a Suffolk syllabub, but that just looks like a syllabub to me. So I think it's no lying. What's a syllabub with you? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of syllabubs, <laughs> should we talk about the desserts? Yes. Well done. <laughs> I like that. I don't know why that works, but it does. What's a syllabub? <laughs> What's a syllabub? Nothing. What's a syllabub with you? Very good. <clears throat> desserts. Uh, this is when, as we mentioned, Rincewind crashes into the Opera House kitchens. Mm. And they're very upset because they've got to invent a pudding for the prima donna, which I'm very upset we didn't get any inventing puddings specifically for prima donnas during Masquerade. Obviously, we did get the chocolate delight with the special sauce. I'm kind of glad we didn't because I feel like he would have tried to make a fat joke. Yeah, good point. Um, um, I, also, there was quite enough dessert-related content with, as you say, the chocolate delight. The heavily aphrodisiac. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was um, never explicitly said, was it? No. I <laughs> think it was. Deniability. <laughs> I think it was implied so heavily that it crashed through a couple of floors of the opera house. Yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> um, anyway, desserts. Yeah, so inventing desserts to one of prima donnas comes from an actual thing, and Dame Nellie Butt, uh, again, partial thanks to Annotated Bratcher for this uh, reference to two different uh, opera singers Dame Nellie Melba. Oh, like, oh, like the Peach Melba. Yes, and that's oh, what Rincewind invents. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but there was also a Dame Clara Butt, who was an English singer who moved to Australia. The Banana Clara sounds great. As a Did anyone Clara. make that? I just love the weeping joy at the end when they've got a new prima donna and her last name's Trifle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not that I'm a big fan of Trifle as a dessert, but I'm I very happy. I love Trifle. Delicious. What are you on about? A damp sponge. Oh, I don't right, like so, the texture yeah. of the damp sponge. I like the, the the little trifles you can get from like Tesco and the little pots. They don't have sponge in even. It's just uh, it's just it's jelly like, and custard and cream. Yeah, no, that I'm into. Yeah, jelly and ice cream with the sprinkles. Mm. Children food is the best kind. That's in the same category of like incredibly bad for you and delicious as like. Do you remember sugar sandwiches? Yep. Because my mum used to call them fairy sandwiches. Which uh, another Australian. Australian thing, uh, fairy oh, yeah. bread, uh, bread and butter with sprinkles on it. Oh. Very popular Australian kid snack. Oh. Something I learned cool. about from, I forgot I had one other Australian cultural t- touchstone, which is a trilogy of books by Jacqueline Moriarty set in Australia about <laughs> teenagers in a high school writing letters to each other that I obsessed over when I was a young teenager. You've told me about that. I keep yes. To, yeah. That's, uh, that's finding Cassie Crazy is the second one. That's for it, listeners, yeah. I can't remember the name of the first one now. So I've linked to it in the past. So I'll find him again. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, so I enjoy the dessert bit. I like mm. an excuse. I thought about you, trying to make a peach melba. But I'm not sure. I need to look up some recipes. You need to add twice the brandy. 
Yes, but there's no initial measurement, so just add twice. It's like when you tell me to add an entire butter to something to fix it. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) there are very few recipes that can't be fixed with an entire butter. I've got some apples that need eating. I might make an apple crumble or something. I quite like the idea of just panic-stricken trying to make up a new dessert out of whatever. I've done it. Like last minute had people coming over it's like what fruit and cream do i have in the house how do how can i assemble it and call it fancy yeah which led to the uh but then you're caramelized... not an incompetent wizard you are a chef yeah no that led to the um caramelized plum custard tart with port syrup that sounds good yeah it was really good i'll make yeah. that for you at some point okay the port syrup's non-alcoholic because the booze all cooks off yeah that's cool um anyway yeah sorry art and perspective let's get some perspective francine hey. need it <laughs> um yeah i just hmm. the whole idea of a thing like being the essence of the thing instead of oh god it's so beautiful isn't it I'm, I'm really eloquent today and i that's great um <laughs> did the thing and the thing you, you know, know the, the, thing? The, the thing that means the thing and the thing but which yeah, reminds um, me that uh oh. we haven't pointed out much that they've said the name of the thing and the thing a lot in this oh book. they have said the thing no yes it happens so often i think i just stopped noticing it by the time we got to an episode um yeah the here it is. Someone had drawn a tree. It was the simplest drawing of a tree the Bursar had ever seen since he'd been old enough to read books that weren't mainly pictures. But it's also in some strange way the most accurate. Simple because something complex had been rolled up small as if someone had drawn trees and started with the normal green cloud on a stick and refined it and refined it some more and looked for the little twist in the line that said tree and refined those until there was just one line that said tree. And I love that. Um, the minimalist line art is yes. incredible and so far out of my reach. That it is wizardry to me. Um, it may as well be done by a deity drawing on a rock, as far as I know. Um, have you ever seen the? I know Picasso is a terrible bastard, but there's like a drawing he did of a woman's behind, a woman's yes. behind because now I'm a prude. <laughs> <laughs> an ass. <laughs> that it's, an ass. Yeah, see that seems wrong for an art, doesn't it? But um, that yeah. it's three, like three lines basically. Yeah, and I'm like, ah. Oh. Well done. Um, I went through a phase yeah. of doing lots of like really minimalist charcoaly sketches and nudes. Oh, and they stuff. look quite good. Yeah, I, I um, could never make it quite as minimalist as I wanted. You know, you always go to yeah. put in that one extra detail. I'm awful with that. It says my my main failing with doing watercolors is I always add another extra layer that I shouldn't have. Um, but I really enjoy the ideas of uh, perspective because it goes against obviously a lot of the art mm-hmm. stuff I've learned. Like Picasso's whole deal was you've got to learn all the rules perfectly and then you learn how to break them. Yeah, and sure. that was the thing I learned with learning to draw is you're not drawing what you know is there, you're drawing what you actually see is there. So you may know that that's a circle, but when you look at it, it's an oval and you need to draw the oval. Yeah. Which is and, why like drawing realism is sometimes helped if you turn your reference photo upside down or something because you can't stop your brain from... Yeah. Saying that is a thing, so I'm going to try and draw a thing. Um, I, I love, I studied perspective drawing for a little bit and I fucking love it. Fascinates me. Yeah, it was when I was doing like some design technology and figuring out ah. how to like design a room. And you had to learn how to draw oh, the sure. perspective of the room to put a design together. I was doing a bit of perspective drawing st- during the first lockdown. I was trying to learn a bit of that and I got as far as five point perspective and then my brain broke. Um, yeah, it's not. Uh, I only studied the very, very basic stuff. Yeah. Over I mean, I, I found even that quite difficult, to be honest. But I, ma- I managed to do a couple of competent, like building sketches and that. And then it was like the, the five point perspectives, like the lens, the convex, convex, the other one. What's the other one? Concave. Convex. Yeah, no, I mean convex lane. Yeah. Lens kind of view, like a spoon reflection. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. But I, I reckon here he's obviously referring to uh, some indigenous art. 
which actually I was reading quite an interesting essay on how even referring to a lot of it as art is a bit um it's simplifying the whole thing because it's it's history it's yeah it's yeah um but i i might have mentioned it on the podcast before some of the like cave art from uh france i think mm-hmm. that um they talked about in the book shaman um and yeah just the idea that they've managed to properly accurately convey this animal yeah and through like these really yeah. simplistic lines and we'll come to that in another book a bit more, actually. So this is a, yeah. This is a signposting bullet point. Uh, for those in the know, it's not what it is. It's yeah. what it be. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's that right. Up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the smell after rain. Not what it looks like it would it be. Not Yeah, it's not what it looks yeah. like. It's what it be. Yeah. The smell of rain. The smell you get after rain. Uh, where's the actual... So the line is, uh, rinse, rinse, smoke, a fairly primitive language. And it had no word for that smell you get after rain other than that smell you get after rain. Mm-hmm. Listeners may know that this is, uh, I always noted that in my notes that I was going to mention the word petrichor because I think it's such a lovely word. Mm. Uh, but very handily, uh, just yesterday, I was reading through some recipes on the Guardian website. Sure, that's why Just you before I went like to go petrichor. do... Just before I went to go do the episode plan, and this happened to be in a recipe for fucking uh, Swiss chard. Sure. Uh, in his masterpiece Nosedive, A Field Guide to the World Smells, Harold McGee begins the soil chapter with the Roman naturalist Pliny, who thought the smell of fertile soil was the mixed breath of sun and earth. Oh. McGee then leaps 2,000 years ahead and recounts how Australian scientists named the smell of dry rock and earth being moistened petrichor from the Greek petri, meaning rock, and ichor, blood of the gods. Huh. So that Were they referencing Pliny or was this like a both parties noticed the... I think it was a both parties notice. Mm. So, um... Stone, stone... I've linked God to... Blood. Uh, an article from the Met Office website about Petrica in the show notes. There's two researchers at the Australian uh, CSIRO, C-S-I-R-O, Science Agency. Uh-huh. And it was in a 1964 article for the Journal Nature. So it's not an old word. Oh. Uh, in their research, rocks have been exposed to dr- warm, dry conditions were steam distilled to reveal a yellow coloured oil that had become oh. trapped in the rocks and soil. And that's the substance that's responsible for the smell. Huh. And it comes uh, out like when it's cooled down rapidly? Yeah, or? I guess. Uh, and the source of this oil is a combination of oils secreted by plants during dry weather, which are signals to halt root growth and seed germination, and then chemicals released by soil-dwelling bacteria. And those particles themselves are called geosmins. So geo is an earth and osme meaning smell. Geosmins. Huh. Geosmins. Yeah, geosmins. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, huh. huh. So how cool is that? That, that is very a- cool fun little thing i learned Ooh, which is which is why i guess that it's always stronger when when it's not rained for a while or when it's like not humid more of that like oil is built up into the yeah oh cool i didn't know that i need a word i did not know what it actually was yes so that was a fun little bit of education i got there thank you thank you rachel brody for uh, that recipe writer For putting that, it also looks like quite a good recipe. It's uh, Swiss chard stalks in a bechamel gratin, and mm. then the greens cooked with some chili and garlic. I think it's it's a word that's been so so heavily referenced in the last few years that like it's become like a piss take thing sometimes on Twitter and Tumblr. It but, was it, 
it got really heavily romanticized and then it was like a thing in Doctor yeah. Who and then Doctor oh. Who kind of became a bit cringy. It right. was a, especially cuz it was Amy and Doctor Who so it was just like the Matt Smith era which oh, is I see, I quite like that. That was sweet. I like it but it was it, definitely it was the kind of campy. Them, it's, yeah. It's the manic pixie dream girl era of Doctor Who. Yeah. Where Doctor Who was the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um but yeah. Um I didn't yes, I hadn't realized that's when it became a meme. I think that contributed to the memification of Petrichor. Yeah, but the the whole bit about the, the like the last passage of this book is one of the ones that's definitely stuck with me as well. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. It, it is. It. It's such a such a book such a book of contrasts. <laughs> um, with just the silliness and then the, as always, just the silliness Those... and the beautiful metaphors. They're always weather related. <laughs> But I think it's also it's it's a relatable feeling. Like I know I get, I I am more of a summer person than a winter person by a long mm. way. But you know that first rain you get when the weather breaks after a really massive hot yeah. spell, and you just have to well, go and stand out in the summer. Storm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, do you remember it was um oh twenty eighteen I guess when we had like six weeks with no rain at all, and it finally mm. rained, and I was like I went and stood outside my flat barefoot like a mm. proper fucking manic pixie dream yeah. girl. I might as well have been a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> At least oh. now I've got a balcony so I can dance in the rain in private. I wish there was some re- way to um, to find the data on this, but I bet the concentration of Manic Pixie Dream Girls spiked that day. Yes, highly. I'm not We're sure. We're going to have Australians laugh at us going like, six whole weeks without rain. Huh. <laughs> Call that a drought. <laughs> this is a drought. That's not a drought. It's a spoon. Did I tell you when I used to work at the um, the, the Empire, the Bar- not the Empire. Yeah, the Empire, the Bar in Sydney. Um, yeah. We used to have these huge windows that like lined one side of the bar and like completely opened. Mm. And the older guys in there, the regulars, used to be able to tell when it was going to piss it down soon. Like it was complete clear sky and they'd be like, you got to close those windows. It's going to piss it down in a minute. And I ignored them the first time. Yeah. They were always fucking right. They just picked up yeah. the sense for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like a vibe. Two, two guys, particularly one guy who's Aboriginal, one guy who is white. Mm-hmm. And they just always, always sense the weather, and they were always in the pubs. So that was useful. Um, mm. <laughs> it's nice when you get a pub that comes with its own barometer. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of silliness, yes, I've what been about? tracking. Remember old throughout mm-hmm, the book. Mm-hmm. Our full tally's only eight. I thought it would be yeah. higher. I think that's enough. Any more would have been a bit. Uh, but a few of my favourite names. Uh, poor old Wally Slover. Windows McPlunder. Dicky Bird. Rubber Hauser. And uh, my personal favourite, Cruddy Trusset. Which Again, I think I might become my drag name. Very Woodhouse, isn't it? It's so Woodhouse. Yeah. I think Cruddy Dickie... Trusset. No, that can't be your drag name, do <laughs> Dicky Bird is sort of the the obvious. Everyone yeah. whose last name is Bird has probably been nicknamed Dicky at some For point. Sure. Especially Richard Bird. I know a Richard Bird. Do you know a Richard Bird? I do know a Richard Bird. Does he go by Dicky Bird? I assume he must. He's one of my mum's friends. But, yeah. Ah, of course. Yeah. You'll have to ask him. Yeah. Anyway, should we talk about some of the bigger stuff? Sure thing. Do you want to start with Ned Kelly? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the whole bit about Rincewind being a dirty vagabond. Um, is kind of a play on the old uh, bush ranger thing, 
it, they talk about Tinhead Ned, which is a very obvious reference to Ned Kelly, who was a, a one of the later crop of bushrangers, actually. He was mid to late 1800s, late 1800s being when he died. Um, he was the son of an Irish transported convict. He was involved with various bush gangs. He was himself the head of a very active one. Um, but Tinhead, I'm guessing specifically, is he died in a shootout with police while he was wearing homemade armour. So right. they, um, the shootout lied a lot lasted a lot longer than it would have done because it was very effective bulletproof homemade armor um, mm-hmm. obviously bullets weren't as good then um, <laughs> his last words were and this might be apocryphal but um such is life well i hope that i love that i hope so too but that sent me down like bush rangers and bush ballads like you know the old it's the the australian wild west stuff um did you disappear down a wombat hole I did disappear down a wombat hole, which is always dangerous because wombats will plug up their burrows with their bums. Is that a real thing? Yeah, no, they've got really, really tough hindquarters. Yeah. And they kind of arrange themselves bum out if something's trying to get into the hole that they think is going to manage it. They also poo in cubes. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, Australia has ridiculous animals. Like, truly, I don't think I'm just being like, ah, it's foreign, so it's weird. Like, I know like, animals from various countries. I enjoy breeding about weird animals. Australia's animals are absurd. But yep. anyway, sorry. <laughs> I love them all. My, most of them. Not the jellyfish. I never went in the sea. Um, yeah, that's fair. So, what the fuck was I talking about? So, bush rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Madder than a cornered wombat. Um, they were originally escaped convicts uh, who used the bush as a refuge to hide from the authorities. And so they were a bit less violently criminal at the start um, because obviously the authorities were horrible in some of these cases and a lot of these convicts weren't like violent criminals. Yeah, Um, And there were a few cases of these early bush rangers um, fighting alongside Aboriginal people um, on the frontier battle kind of stuff. Um, Later, I think... That massively decreased. Um, and then it later, the term evolved to refer to armed robbers, basically. Um, like, that was their life, uh, who used the bush as their base. So I guess, like, highwaymen. Yeah. Um, they get a lot of popular public sympathy in the same way that our highwaymen do. It's kind of, the, the term is social banditry. So right. it's uh, the lower class criminals resisting authority and obviously a lot a lot of these things get because we like the general idea of it very whitewashed and yep. the romantic heroes and then you look into it it's like oh you were a pr- proper proper bastard yeah why did i just stop myself from saying prick okay. <laughs> yeah we can say prick on this podcast francie <laughs> um anyway sorry but yeah so like same deal as like with pirates always get a little bit like yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean did a lot to help that. But I mean, even before that, it was like pirate costumes. It's the fun thing to be. Highwaymen again, um, like the North American outlaws, like Billy the Kid, all that kind of stuff is social banditry. Um, and kind of connected to that is the thing of uh, bush ballads, which is like folk ballads, but specifically mm-hmm. about Australian stuff. It tells personal tales of rural life in Australia. Um, so you've got like mining and sheep shearing, and it's like it's still an ongoing genre. So you've also got like trucking and things like that. Yeah. It's simple rhyme schemes, generally very down to earth language. For a long time, it was like passed down orally only. Um, I think it started being printed in oh, what's his name who did the Waltzing Matilda Patterson, something like that. 
Oh yeah, we talked about him last week. Yeah, I have forgotten the name now. He put together a book of them. Yeah, he had edited a book of them, which included the one with the orangutan thing. That's how I got there. Um, but there's also a lot of them that talk about bush rangers and famous last stands are very important, obviously. Um, one there there are a lot, and I'm not going to go through them all. But one I quite liked because of a fun trivia detail of it was uh, Jack Donahue, who died in a shootout. There's always fucking shootouts with police in 1830. And a little snippet in Wikipedia, which I feel should have been put in like extra large font. Um, Smoking pipes were made in the shape of Donahue's head, including the bullet holes in his forehead, and were bought and smoked by the citizens of Sydney. Including the bullet holes in his forehead? Yeah. Because he wow. had, like holes in clay yeah. pipes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pretty good, right? It was Banjo Patterson, by the way. Sorry. Yeah. How the fuck did I forget that first name? <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that, that definitely like, well, Pratchett's talked before about the weird thing that people liked public execution and stuff like that and like the grimness surrounding it. But then I, I quite like that made me think of the passage, which was, yeah, no worries there. But if he gets it wrong, see, you end up, you either end up with a neck six feet long or you'll laugh about this. Your head flies off like a perishing cork. Oh, good. <laughs> with Larrick and Larry, we had to search the roof all Arvo. Marvellous. All Arvo, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That was... That's really that, interesting. I, I won't keep going on about the Bush Ballads because I'm not, as I said, going to sing any and there's only so much I can talk about them without that getting boring. But um, I'll, I'll link some cool ones. And it, yeah, it's like a... It's a version of country music and it's... Yeah, I'm assuming they're sort of a cousin to like the sea shanty as well. Yeah, I'm guessing so. A lot of it must have come from... I'm sure a lot of it was set to the same tunes as well. Yeah. Because it was brought over from the places these people were transported. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't get time to look into how much... Uh, into much of the modern stuff, which is a shame, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, new genre of music. Well, not new. Um, also, sorry, not really relevant, but... Uh, while you were talking, I also came up with squarer than a wombat shit as a uh, oh terrible I love it. We can use. <laughs> Sorry, you just said something very intelligent. I wanted to ruin it with some wombat shit before I try and sound intelligent. No, that's good. I think that's like no palate cleanse is the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> returning the bar down, and now we'll try and raise it again. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk about the dreaming, mm. Um, mm. specifically using the term dreaming, not dream time. Oh. Um. Neither of them are completely c- correct. It's a very complex spiritual concept, and this is much more analogy than translation. Uh. Um, a lot of different indigenous tribes have different words for this same concept, uh, none of which I'm going to try and say because I could not find any good examples of how to pronounce it. And I'd rather not say it than mangle pronunciation. There are so little good reasons, <laughs> so few good resources I could find anywhere on any of this stuff. No, it's very difficult to find resources not from white people. All of my... My mythology folklore books don't even mention anything Aboriginal. Yeah, well, I'll go into part of the reasons for why that is, but the Uh actual concept of the dreaming, the reason you say dreaming rather than dream time is it's not um, just about creation. It's not just about a past era. It's something that continually lives on. Um, I want to be really clear now I'm trying to talk about this as sensitively as possible because this is a very active and alive culture that 
our ancestors oppressed horribly for a very long time. Yeah, it's not so like I'd us like mangling to... Norse mythology. Which that I do on a regular basis, but that's just my shit it's memory. <laughs> as far as the Aboriginal uh, like creation myths, uh, there's, there's lots of different individual stories. Again, there's so many different tribes. Um, but a lot of things these stories have in common is this idea of ancestor beings who rose in this barren land and they lived and fought and loved and created the land's features and became part of the landscape in these sacred places. Um, I assume the reference to this uh, massive rock, the old man and the boy is sitting at the end is reference to Uluru, which is uh, often referred to as red rock. Um, and that's very sacred to Aboriginal people. Well, they- they won't climb it, will they? So no, I guess if they, you're a deity, a, you're allowed. Yeah. There's a massive push for uh, not letting tourists fucking climb it because the the bit with the old man and the boy. Actually, sorry to interject. I was wondering if that was also um, kind of a something of a creation myth. Yeah, and and that he was kind of nodding to the fact that all of this was preserved so well through like oral history. So he was like yeah. making sure the boy saw him do it. Yeah, I I don't. I assume that must be kind of. Uh, a reference to it but yeah in these creation stories these, yeah. these ancestor beings become part of the landscape <gasps> and the spirits pass to descendants and that's why um there's a lot of important totems within different indigenous groups um the oral tradition thing is really fascinating though mm. so these are these song lines told and told and told tens of thousands of years old this is some of the oldest witnessed history Jesus to Christ. exist and be accurately passed down um Retellings of massive landscape changes, so animal extinctions. Um, there are song lines that tell of sea level rises after the last ice age 7,000 years ago. Fuck. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I could have gone down a whole rabbit hole just looking at how long these oral traditions have lasted, but yeah, literally tens of thousands of years. <sighs> That's amazing that there's like these like ge- geographic events that we can just like use as a... As like a marker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can tell that this story being told is at least seven thousand years old. Still it's like being carbon dating a song. <laughs> yeah, effectively, it's it's fascinating. Um, but the dreaming is a spiritual concept. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm completely getting this off. But but the biggest difference between this and say like Christian mythical concepts is that the dreaming dreaming very much exists and is something all around. It's not like a separate idea of when creation happened or a separate idea of heaven that say you'd have in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from um, an Aboriginal man named Midnight Davies. Excellent name. Uh, the dreaming is more than just an explanation of cultural norms and where we came from. The dreaming is a complete guide to life and living. It is an encyclopedia of the world. It's not just stories, but art, songs, dance. It is written into the land itself. Through the dreaming, we're taught knowledge of plants and animals. To us, many of the flowering plants are treated as signs of animals available to hunt, fish about to appear, Fruits about to ripen, the movement of the stars foretells the changing of the weather, the birth of animals, the time for ceremony and gatherings. The dreaming completely surrounds us. We are shown proof of it every day. It's not some old book written thousands of years ago, it is the living world itself. The dreaming belongs to every Aboriginal person. It isn't the sacred property of a few priests, rabbis, or imams. It is the property of everyone. Every ceremony, every rite, every tradition, every bit of knowledge is destined to be known to an individual sometime within their lifetime. The dreaming was not designed to be just practiced one day a week or to only be turned to in times of need. It is designed to be lived in every moment and to shield you from those times of need. It serves as a guide to day-to-day life, a guide to the spiritual side of life. Huh. So I thought that was a very good summary. That's very, it's, it's, yeah, it's a collective 
knowledge and history and guide and yeah ha yeah hmm that's amazing so it was I, still, I still obviously do not grasp it at all to be honest and I see my won't un- t- until I've read a lot about it and probably not even then but gosh. exactly and it's and again it's very difficult to read about and find written sources about because things That's are still very much it, yeah yeah traditionally passed orally which is again why I struggle to find pronunciation guys because obviously I'm looking at things online yeah and everything's written down with very much a this is kind of a phonetic interpretation because there isn't a written like a a strict set of written guidelines for this language yeah there's um <clears throat> yeah there are a few aboriginal academics uh, with studies i could find online um i'm guessing there are some massive systemic racism Inequality. issues Shit. that are yeah. massive that are not helping there so in fact i'm not guessing i know very well there is there a lot those, of yeah. yes, and also that I don't know what to be searching for a lot of the time, which is another issue. Um, huh. But that gives us some perspective, especially on this last third of the book. And you think about going from the time of creation to now. Yeah, I would really like to hear an Ab- Aboriginal person's perspective on how sensitively it was dealt with in this book. I mean, it was obviously not even scratched the surface of, which no. possibly was the better way to do it, but hinted at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would be interesting to interested to read it, read some yeah. perspectives the, on it. The concept of everything being very interlinked, and um, you just sort of tell when something is wrong through it, and that is kind of in the plot a bit. But I'm not sure if that's yeah, yeah. I can't exactly yeah. sit there and say, well, Terry Pratchett did X amount of research because no, yeah. we don't know. But no, I, I assume... couldn't even find any bloody interviews with him talking about this bit. No, I had a decent look. I had a decent look as well, and yeah. I found very little. It's not in his folklore of Discworld. Nothing about it there. Uh, no. Uh, anyone who does a better job than me at finding this stuff, I would love to hear anything about his writing process on those bits. But yeah, uh, if anyone has any perspective that we are severely lacking, then yes. do throw yes, it. Please, at us. very much. Please, very much. Not, not just out of our vague interest, but of the correcting us if we're wrong as well. Um, yeah, do correct us if we're wrong. Um, speaking of, should we go on to some of the more problematic stuff in this book? Yeah. <laughs> wow, we really did put it off to the last minute, didn't we? <laughs> well, we avoided doing what we did for interesting times, which was just starting with the blanket problematic sticker. Yes, and I didn't want to do that because, well, A, because I don't think it is a bl- blanket problematic book, and B, because I'm not, I don't love how we did that anyway, and in this case especially, I did not want to come across dismissive at all because the the things that our country did to the aboriginal people in australia are are really very very upsetting yeah um like it is it it is something from you again anything i say sounds so dismissive the the horrible history books that i used to have all of yeah went into detail at one point about that colonial atrocities yeah in australia specifically and that like those couple of paragraphs has stuck with me so much that it's just something i've looked up every now and then and every time i do it's worse and worse and it's god god damn and these things are still being enacted now i mean Mm -hmm. you can say well the people doing it now aren't really british anymore they're australian it's like yes that's not really the point yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm not saying i am again it's the whole fucking like 
there is yeah, we're not a, trying there to take whole personal thing there. responsibility. <laughs> yes. But we're aware it's a big fucking thing. Yeah. It's um, um I saw this summed up really nicely somewhere. And someone's um no, oh, do you know fuck it, TikTok. It's a fucking TikTok. <laughs> um but it was somebody who knew what they were talking about. No, they're like, it's not that you did it. You didn't steal something. You were given some of the stuff that was stolen though. Yeah. You you benefited like, yes, from it. Yes. <laughs> Um, whether, whether consciously or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Well, do you want to swing back around to that point we were making about geography versus history? Yes, please. Tell me about that. Well, it's just, I used to kind of go, oh, yeah, especially in the context of like Neil Gaiman saying it, talking about mm-hmm. America, because... Yeah, it's like 100 years is a long time, 100 miles is a long time. Distance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially because, you know, I've got American friends, they move over here and it's always very funny mm-hmm. when they come to our town and they're like, oh, my God, the house I'm living in is like 200 years older than the town I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I, then I, they're I like, that. then we're like, no, I'm not driving 20 minutes. And they're, they're like, and the they're like oh, I drive six hours to work every day. And we're <laughs> all horrified. Uphill <laughs> both ways. I've done car bob box in Midlet Road. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of a shit point because, you know, we just talked about the fact the history of Australia goes back 10,000 years mm. and is still actively, actively told. It does have history. It doesn't have our history because we only turned up on it when we turned up on it to colonize it. Same with America. America has as much of a rich and incredible history, much more than our little island. But the towns are only 200 years old because we were turned up and colonized it 200 years ago. Yeah. I don't literally mean 200, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Whenever. However, yeah. The, um, the point I very clumsily made a couple of episodes ago applies slightly here, which is that we've re- for so long refused to take any native histories as actual histories. We thought they were little oh, charming little folklore things. They don't mean anything. And then very recently they've been like, oh, no, fuck, we could have like saved ourselves a lot of vulnerability to, say, natural disasters or whatever, if we had not been such absolute patronizing fucks. Or, you know, because not they're not in the first place. But... Because they're not traditionally shared and by traditionally i mean you know we think of history as things that were written down and these are story cultures i'll say our way by the sounds of the timeline there is the weird newfangled way (laughs) yeah songs songs. obviously i knew that oral histories was older than written anyway but yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) both older than sliced bread betty white Um, was oh betty white sorry that is like the last thing we should be talking about now anyway (laughs) Um, but there's a lot of things that are sort of presenting characters as problematic rather mm-hmm. than the book itself being problematic. Yeah. Uh, Dibbler obviously being the worst example, but I think that's written to be kind of a man on the street thing if he's sort of saying, oh, people should go back to where they came from. I think, I can't remember if it was the annotated Pratchett or another annotation. I saw it might be referencing a specific right-wing politician that was actually during the time yeah. with the whole, I'm more indigenous than the indigenous, indigenous people. people. Yeah, um, I earned my indigenuity, I did. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, yeah, that weird circular logic of I'm starting from a place of hate and I'm going to try and justify it backwards. Uh, yeah. It's very, ugh, like, I must have said before, I was always vaguely appalled at the casual racism I heard well, here in English pubs as well, but in the yeah. pub I worked in in Sydney, it was far worse than any I've heard around here. Um, like, and it's not great around her. No. Um, so I'm sure 
Pratchett heard yeah. a fair bit of as well amongst the many, many amazing people he met. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're definitely not coming from the point of view of all Australians are racist. Here. No, it's just, yeah, some, some of the it's stuff the said is a bit more racist. acceptable, although actually, fuck, maybe it's, it's generated a lot here recently. Anyway. Um, it really has. There's um, a point uh, Sander Vogel made on our subreddit yes. as well about two scenes, one in the first section and one in this section. Uh, the first one being Rincewind meeting someone who's black and Rincewind wasn't racist or he considered himself a racist because he was very yeah, good at racing yeah. away the joke, treating yeah. all skin colours the same and then the same thing with Bursa here uh, Bursa had no room in his head for racism as a skin colour, black came as quite a relief compared to some of the colours he'd seen um, very much look see, this character's not racist yeah. it's, a, it's a weird thing Pratchett does and he gets better about it he will introduce a person of colour seen through the eyes of a white character and then immediately reassure us that that white character is not racist. Yes. I quite liked how he did it in an earlier book almost with, um, with Nanny Og. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first black person Nanny Og had ever spoken to and then that was it. Yeah. Um, these were... <sighs> Yeah, no, I agree. It it was a it was a weird way to put it. It did jar me reading it this time round. I want if I'm going to try and make a justification, it would be that he wanted to be clear that these were indigenous people. Yeah, I, I, um, and then trying to like mentioning that they were black. I don't have a problem with but pointing then the, out the stuff that, that I'm not racist. <laughs> yeah, Could you I don't just have a mention be? with yeah. pointing out that, that that it's a person of color that mm. the character is talking to because people will fill in white characters in their head if yes. it's not explicitly said yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. I'm guilty of it. I know I am. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I'm guilty of it in, I will sometimes make that assumption if it's not explicitly pointed out, I'm not yeah. guilty of it. Like yeah. the new Lord of the Rings series is going to destroy my life because they put black people in it. Yes. That's not historically accurate to Middle yeah. Earth. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, no, I'm not getting into that. No, I'm not getting into that. But it does sit a little bit uncomfortably mm. to sort of need to put that reassurance in every time. Mm. And I think some of it is a of its time thing. I know we're only talking about the 90s, but I think you're writing a bunch of... Wizards are kind of like the almost the equivalent of sort of Eton schoolboys. Yes. It might be worth pointing out they're not racist because you definitely would assume someone with that upbringing might be a little bit racist yeah it's interesting because neither Rincewind nor the verse are acted in any way that could be considered racist uh no. the dean came right in and was a patronizing fuck but i don't think that had anything no. to do with the painter's skin color that's I what that i mean if i was going to try and dean. point out that someone was not a racist it probably would have been dean if i need to say yeah. it but, <laughs> but yeah no it's it it's odd it read odd i'm sure it was done with good intentions i'm sure it was done with yeah, good intentions obviously it was done with good intentions but yeah it was just yeah yeah it reads odd now maybe it didn't 20 years ago it reads odd a bit now i think the problem is is that you have this reassurance that these characters aren't civil aren't privileged but yeah. then you also have the weird attitudes about civilization about sa savages yeah uh rinse when feeling like he's somewhere civilized as soon as he can hear voices and he realizes he's in the city yeah um you, you, it's sort of a bit trying to have it both ways if you know what i mean yeah. His characters really aren't racist, but they do think they're better than these people. I'm not being the like pedantic. Well, the definition of the word thing is: does civilian and city are they? Connected? I assume they have. Uh, I know similar... politician is, but I can't remember. A yeah. civ... <laughs> I assume they come from similar roots. 
Yeah. Um, but kind of rounding out the points I had anyway, um, there's obviously been a lot of talk about Terry Pratchett on Twitter recently because uh, someone else has been very shit, especially towards minorities. There's lots of people saying, oh, you know, if you don't have that anymore, come to yeah. Discworld. Terry Pratchett was so much better. He was Super really trans-friendly. Sorry. Sorry. So, thank you. No, it's cool. Um, come over to the Discworld. It's so much better. Terry Pratchett was great about trans people, about this, about that. And it's like, that's not what so I mean, it is one of the things that makes weird. it better than Harry Potter, but it's been weird. It's been very like deifying. Mm-hmm. And people talking about Pratchett like he's perfect. And what's so great is that he wasn't perfect. But there's like 40 books. He learned, he grew. The way he writes about people gets better, the books get better. And as I think we said a very long time ago, I've always felt and so be very cool, uncomfortable with people. Yeah, doing this cult of personality thing, especially around somebody who can't chime in. Yeah. And it's one thing that Rihanna has spoken out and said, like, my dad would not have thought this, by the way, setting the record yeah. straight. Or, yeah, I'm pretty sure dad would have supported this. Fine. That's his daughter. Yeah. Absolutely. The fact that some people argue with her about that is insane. Um, so creepy. <laughs> but the rest of it that I've seen, and I've seen a, a lot of it, and I've, I've retweeted some of it, honestly, because it's nice. I like the idea that if people are feeling sad about, Harry Potter basically being taken away from them in some ways. Um, we can adopt go, them into Here's the another fandom. cool fantasy thing. And yeah. by the way, they actually have like a lot of trans-friendly themes in this book, this book, this book. Yeah. Um, I also quite like the almost flippant thing of, oh, J.K. Rowling, what a twat. Guess who's not a twat? Terry this Pratchett. guy. <laughs> and he is very much not a twat in yeah. comparison to J.K. Rowling, but he's yeah. not perfect. And that's what's good about the books is reading the growth, seeing the growth. Yeah. I also find it slightly uncomfortable. They're like, come into the Discord fandom because it's so much nicer. It's like, ah. Uh, Sometimes. The younger, I, I will say the younger ones I've seen, yes. <laughs> the younger ones I've seen, yes. Yeah. Uh, and but, a lot of the older ones, but the <laughs> the shit ones do tend to come out of the road work like occasionally. There's six Facebook group schisms based on transphobia. Like, it's yeah. not yeah, always uh, the best. No, that's, I do appreciate the heavily moderated one for this reason. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, sorry that that's it's off topic, but I think it's relevant. Yes, I agree. The the joy of these books is not that the author perfectly handled everything; it's that he got better at handling everything. Yes, and I, for that, I do think this is mostly a very deftly handled book. It just makes those bits that aren't deftly handled more jarring. I think so. That's it, isn't it? If, if we were reading, insert random <clears throat> fantasy or sci fi author from the eighties and nineties. It would the entire podcast would be that if we were going to do it at all. Yeah. So we're like, there's not enough purple post-it notes in the world. No, absolutely. And I've got loads of spare purple post-it notes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's worth looking at the bits where you can criticize in this because that's otherwise yeah. we wouldn't have much of a fucking podcast. And again, I looked for and could not find, and if anyone knows of any, please tell me of um an Aboriginal analysis of this book. Um, like we've managed to do with a few other issues, the people involved have written about it. Um, yep. Again, I was not able to find that for this one. And if anyone listening to us has yeah, an original perspective, I, I would like to. Yeah, I'm very interested. Yes, um, but I'm sure there's plenty of opinions we will just never be able to hear. Which is yes. But if you would like <laughs> us to hear your opinion, do contact us in the usual manner. Albatross. 
Amatros. Um, before we get to how to contact us, though, uh, do you have an obscure reference, Vinny or Francine? Yes, it's a very scattered one, but I Yay! enjoyed it. Uh, it's about Australian slang. Mm-hmm. So just to start with a couple of the terms, he's, a lot of them were just pure made up because they sounded Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Struth, I looked into. It's just a combination, a corruption of God's truth, which is nice. I like mm-hmm. how many mild swear words are just blasphemy, like crinkled together. Yep. Um, like zounds and <laughs> God's wounds, but uh, obviously that's not very Australian. Um, zounds, mate. They called, um, I think it was Darlene, referred to the people like having a go at them as a bunch of hoonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that referred to in a couple of contexts. The one I think it probably refers to is they're kind of like hooligans, especially in the terms of like like those dangerous drivers and like doing donuts and speeding around Gary Boy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess it could also just mean like yob. Uh, and then related but more old-fashioned a larrikin because there was a larrikin larry and rinsewing got called a larrikin in a friendly manner um is a boisterous or often badly behaved young man these days uh but previously used to mean like a lout or a hoodlum it used to be a lot stronger Mm -hmm. Uh, so i'm guessing that's the context we mean in now like a criminal kind of thing and then i went off track and started looking into why australians put oh on the end of everything Um, right Because I think um, it mentioned the policeman outside having a smoko. Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, fucking smoke Arvo. breaks. Sorry, smokos. Um, so there's a whole thing about diminutives in Australian English. Mm-hmm. So a lot of words end with O or IE or Y or ear, any of it. Uh, often it doesn't make it any shorter. So some of my favorite ones, smoko, obviously. Bottle-o is mm-hmm. the place you go and buy booze. Drive through bottle was one of the weirder phrases I heard on a regular basis. Related as an esky, uh, which is like a cold container. Uh, what do you call oh, it? Right. Icebox kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and my favorite, I think, is Sanger for sandwich. Um, and then I looked into he was like, why, why the fuck? Why is this Australian? Why is this so Australian? Just putting O on everything, like nicknames as well. Everyone's something O, like Rinse O in this case. Yeah. Um, I was apparently more population with the older generation, more popular with the older generation, interestingly. Mm-hmm. So um, things like an S or on the end of slightly more like MOVES for mobile phone. That's a right. more modern one. Um, but I found an article saying the, the purpose of diminutives in Australian English is just not very well understood on like a recordable level. There is... There are some academics looking into it. This is like a 10-year-old article, and I couldn't find their study on a quick Google, but I'm going to look deeper into it. Um, mm-hmm. But they were saying they were running experiments on which part, in which participants either use or avoid diminutives in conversation to see then right. how they were perceived. Oh, fuck. Sorry, Jack just came in and gave me a startle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some people accuse our younger generations of spoiling our language with all these diminutives. Fuck, I'm trying to say your name. Nena says, Nena? Yeah, why not? Um, but the earliest examples are from the 1800s. It's a long tradition, not modern laziness. Uh, despite that, Nena can't see herself adopting some of the latest lingo. I'm kind of amused by the trends of saying moves for mobiles or totes for totally, she says. I use some shortened words, but those just sound silly to me. <laughs> Which I love that every generation is going to be like, there's a generation of people saying smoko who are like, mobs. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's kind of 
the the general overview there is that it's kind of seen as a a way of making language more casual. It's the matiness, friendliness yeah. idea in Australian culture. Um, there's also maybe a bit of class solidarity stuff going on there, avoiding right. a tall poppy syndrome, which is like crab bucket syndrome yeah. related. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Love a bit of slang. I do. Right. Well, I think that's literally everything we could ever say ever on The mm-hmm. Last Continent. Mm-hmm. The end of our uh, ep- episode. No. <laughs> FO. It's the end of our FO. <laughs> end of our FO. She'll be all right, mate. Um, no we're going to take a week off. We will be back uh, at the beginning of April. Very excited. We're talking about Carpe Jugulum. Yes. God, yeah. That's Get hyped. Get hyped. We've got a very good run of books coming up. Um, however, in the meantime, while we're away, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make You Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. Email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, albatrosses, and wombats, the True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. I don't want a wombat turning up in the inbox. I kind of do there. It'll turn backwards. I won't be able to get in. No, good point. Uh, if you want to support us financially, go to patreon.com forward slash the truth shall make you fret. You can exchange your hard earned pennies for bonus nonsense. We've got a new rabbit hole episode with Francine coming out soon. We don't know what it's Quack-a-hole. about yet. Quack a hole. Quack a hole. Oh, that's so nice. Nice. Yeah. And new monthly recipes for the castles and snacks too. So if you want a recipe for something, text me, email me. You don't have my number. <laughs> Let us know on Patreon. <laughs> Uh, please rate, review, etc. wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Sometimes we appear on the chart. Sometimes we appear on a chart. Not often. Not often. But sometimes. But I think it's correlated. I'm not sure. Uh, and in the meantime, dear listener, I forgot to have the end of the book out. Fantastic. Dun, in the dun. meantime, <laughs> dear listener, it had he thought, been well worth waiting for. Barry Smith is a poser.